Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all here. Um, and good morning also, or good afternoon, or good evening to um, our Sangha all around the country, the world. Um, first, I'd like to thank Junmi Roshi um, for giving me this opportunity to speak to you a little bit about my, my own practice and uh, to share a little bit of um, how I practice and um, how we can all practice together. Today I would like uh, to talk a little bit about love. And this is not the romantic love. Um, not the love with, with duality. I am speaking of the deep interconnectedness of all living and non-living forms that support us, that nurture us, that we can feel every day. We walk outside, we're at work. As lay practitioners, um, very often, um, we find ourselves in places where there are non-practitioners, um, but still there is that deep, deep sense of a web of support and nurturance. Uh, this is the love that uh, Cree from Austria wrote about in her email. Um, that connectedness we feel when we don't label anything around us in nature. We don't label the creatures around us. We don't label what kind of tree is this? What kind of bird is this? What kind of person is this? Um, it's the essence of life itself. And it flows through everything and everyone around us. This is the love that I'm speaking of today. Um, this is the love we experience when we drop the self. And we reach that zero point of non-interference, letting life flow through us, letting the universe express itself through each one of us as individuals and as a whole human family. We always need to practice, right? We always need to uncloud our minds of these selfish tendencies that we have, um, these insertions, these projections of self, um, these barriers. We always have to constantly look at it, look inwardly, not outwardly, for our, uh, our suffering. Our, our pain, where is this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? Uh, body and mind endlessly drop away and there's no grand finale and there's no end to our practice. It's constant and consistent uh, and painful at times. Practice itself is enlightenment, as Dogen says. It is continuous, persistent, all-encompassing love. I want to explore this love today through the practice of the six paramitas. Uh, this is the way of the bodhisattva, practice of these six paramitas or perfections as they're translated. Constant practice of perfection of the bodhisattva. And Bodhisattva is uh, depicted as a, a warrior for everyone 
around for everyone in existence. The Bodhisattva hears the cries of the world and manifests themselves as a benefactor for all beings. A Bodhisattva stands at the gate of enlightenment and will not go through, will not go through until every last sentient and non-sentient being has entered before them. And this sounds like an overwhelming practice because we all have these, again, we have all these tendencies to insert ourselves in me first and um, interjections, but this is our practice every day, every moment. We strive to allow the Bodhisattva within to manifest through this practice as natural emanations of right action, right speech, and right thought. These paramitas are interwoven in our daily practice, calling for us to manifest truth and love for others who are also our very self. I once read an expression of this as all sentient beings have their existence and live within my life. Because there is no my life and there is no your life. It is all life. This is the way of the Bodhisattva. As a little bit of history, the Paramitas evolved with the beginning of Mahayana Buddhism 2,000 years ago. They were derived from a three-part teaching of classical Buddhism, which included sila, morality, samadhi, concentration, and prajna, wisdom. The original six paramitas are dana, the perfection of giving, sila, perfection of morality, santi, perfection of patience, virya, perfection of spiritual energy, and jnana, perfection of meditation, and prana, perfection of wisdom. There were four more later added as a result of Persian influences and um, other influences around the world at that time. Uh, these four that were added are upaya, compassionate means, pranidana, perfection of bodhicitta, bala, perfection of spiritual power, and jnanya, perfection of knowledge. Our attention today will be on the original six paramitas. It's incredibly important to not just study these paramitas or perfections, but to actualize. How do we actualize? How do we embody them in daily life, in actions, in words, in thoughts? How do we do that? How do we constantly reflect inward? To go beyond, far beyond, our common, our emotional reactions, our discomforts, our constrictions and our contractions and to shine our light inwardly and thus outwardly for the benefit of all beings and for the sake of the love and unity that we speak of today, that we strive to manifest as these warriors of love and compassion. The first four of the paramitas are concerned with moral practice. The first paramita is dana paramita. Dana is the natural flow 
Well, generosity as self drops away. Again, it's that zero point. It's that point we reach where everything is one. Everything is one. There is no giver. There is no receiver. There is only this. The word literally means relinquishment. What are we relinquishing? What relinquishment? Relinquishment of a separate sense of self. Relinquishment of oppositional terms like self and other, right and wrong, good and bad, correct, incorrect, when self is dropped. There is only a pure manifestation of giving without mine and yours. It wouldn't even be right for me to say, I'm giving this to you. The perspective is not, I am giving this, whatever it is to you, because there is no me, and there is no you. There is only this. Dana is an expression of deep, deep gratitude for life as it is, simply for the expression of love and unity. Everything around us supports us, nourishes us, gives us strength, gives us sustenance, even the things that we deem uh, painful and constricted and like you're, you feel like you're going to be squeezed until there's no life in you. Even that is a tremendous, tremendous gift. Dana is not a simple thank you from one being to another, but an expression of symbiosis between the giver and the receiver. Constant exchange of this energy, this underlying energy. And both become one actualization of dana paramita. And both the giver and the receiver disappear within nothing but this. Empty. Empty as one wave would merge into another on the ocean. It rises, it falls, it gives itself away. And there's nothing but this vast, vast body of water. So what about selfless action? Selfless action is natural to us. And yet such a challenge for us. There always seems to be something inside us that tries to reason with us when we try to give unconditionally. I have most often seen this unconditional giving arise not on a special occasion, but arising spontaneously within the moment. It's most often a gift you would not expect. Um, a listening ear when you're in tremendous pain. Um, an embrace when you feel like the world is lost to you. This is a gift of pure compassion and love for another, when there is no other. I was reflecting on this, and I remembered I once saw an older woman in New York City. I was um, visiting just for fun. Um, we were walking around the city um, with our stepdaughters, and <coughs> I saw an old woman, and she, she had a walker in front of her, and she was carrying very heavy grocery bags. 
in each hand. And she was shuffling, shuffling, shuffling towards her apartment door. And it looked so painful. And there's an unspoken, well, this person is a stranger. And what would they think if you ran to help them? So there is a certain amount of compassion that rises in us, but there is often something that rises also that says, well, I don't want to disturb this stranger. I don't want to interfere. I feel so sorry for them. I'm so sorry that you're suffering and you watch. In this moment of seeing her, though, without a moment's thought, all these discomforts, because I had a great deal of discomfort, actually. I, um, I saw the pain. I saw the suffering. I saw she needed help. I saw she had nobody. There was still something in me going, no, maybe I shouldn't bother her. She's a stranger. Maybe she would be bothered by me. And so this conflict was going on. And then all of a sudden, everything dropped away. Like a costume I was wearing that was unnecessary. It was just, in that moment, just everything dropped. Shattered. And I walked quickly up to her. And she had reached her apartment door by this point. And uh, she was shuffling up her stairs. I don't know how she was doing this with a walker and bags. I opened the door for her. She unlocked it. I opened it for her. And she went inside. Um, she didn't say thank you, but she didn't need to. Um, in the space of that moment, she was me. And I was her. I felt as natural as scratching the nose or reaching for a pillow in the dark. She looked at me quickly with a small smile on one side of her face and she closed the door gently behind her. This type of giving happens when we are deeply in tune with love and it becomes a natural expression to be giving. Um, we also see this type of giving uh, between a teacher and a student of the Dharma. I mean, it's a challenge constantly to drop this persona that we create. Um, and giving is, is an expression of no expectation of anything in return. Um, a teacher gives, but what is the teacher giving? A student gives, what is the student giving? They both disappear in that moment. Um, I'm reminded also that, you know, I, this, this makes me think of when uh, Junryu uh, wakes up in the morning, we have the girls, uh, my stepdaughters, my beautiful, cranky stepdaughters, um, who, you know, barely, often barely say a word to us in the morning. Um, they'll get up and they don't want to go to school and obviously, for obvious reasons, right? Um, they want to sleep, like we all do. So we all hit the snooze button at one point in our lives, right? But um, they, don't, they don't say a word very often to him, but he prepares their breakfast, he makes their lunch, um, everything is laid out in front of them. They have their waffles ready. He often chops fruit for them. And he has it in a bowl. And I always, I always think of this 
um, because they don't respond to him. They don't say thank you. But do they need to say thank you? Um, my experience of my stepdaughters and, and this, um, this giving without expecting anything in return um, is when they'll be in the middle of an argument with me and they'll ask me to draw something for them. Um, they, they, think that, they think that I'm some kind of artist. <laughs> I don't know. But they come and they ask me to draw something for them uh, for a project for school. And I remember this happened right in the middle of an argument with one of my stepdaughters. Um, and I dropped everything that I was doing. I dropped the argument. I dropped the taking the, the person who takes it personally, you know, the self. And I actually drew something for her, and she, it was such an expression of gratitude from her. Afterwards, I did receive thanks in return, but did not need to. But again, it's such a challenge to constantly watch how you insert yourself, how your emotional reactions disturb you, and disturb the equilibrium between yourself and other individuals. Um, I appreciate the expression of Dana Paramita Vaishanti Deva in the way of the Bodhisattva. If with kind, kindly generosity one merely has the wish to soothe the aching heads of other beings, such merit knows no bounds. The second Paramita is Sila Paramita. This Paramita is a natural expression of morality through the practice of our precepts, the three pure precepts, and the ten grave precepts. Um, I'm sure most of you are familiar. Um, this is, uh, these precepts emanate from the desire, the deep desire to do good for others. The way of the Bodhisattva, again, to support life, to be giving, to honor the body, to speak truthfully, to cultivate clarity, to realize equality, to practice humility, to share generously, to cultivate patience, and to devote ourselves to practice. This is the practice of Sila Paramita. This practice of morality is also a natural expression of love for others as unity. But again, it's challenging every day to be in that to express that. Especially as lay practitioners, as we all are, we have lives outside of this zendo. Um, we, we go to work. We, we, we practice with, we, we interact with people every day who are not practitioners. And um, in terms of, of moral practice, in terms of this paramita, I have vowed to uphold, not to elevate myself and blame others. And I'm in a place, I'm a special education teacher in Newark, and as you all know, and um, I'm surrounded every day by gossip. Um, and it's a challenge not to take part in this. There's always a part of me going, well, yeah, I heard that too. Did you hear that about this person? Did you, yeah, and I heard that they did ABC. And isn't that 
fill in the blank. And it's, it's difficult to hear all of this and, and not to have something inside of you going, yeah, yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, isn't that person fill in the blank? Um, and it becomes, um, it becomes such a challenge to not take part in it for me. Um, I vowed not to do harm to others in my thoughts, words, and actions, and yet there are many around me practicing something very different. Um, I, I don't gossip about others, but as a result, when I don't gossip, when I don't take part in this, I, I'm seen as someone who is not in the know. You know, I'm out of the loop. I'm out of the circle. And there's a part of me that wants to be part of that circle. Make me part of your circle. <laughs> um, and that that desire to, to be a part of something um, can be expressed in two ways. It can be expressed as um, I'm taking part in gossip and, and making, creating a separation between myself and this other person, whoever we're talking about, or I can make myself reach that zero point of love and unity again and, and lift people up by not gossiping about them, by not criticizing them, by not judging them. And this is a challenge in my practice. And, um, this is something I deal with every day. Another vow I try to uphold every day is to manifest truth and to not lie. And, and I've been recently actually confronted with a situation where I was encouraged to tell a lie of omission. Um, to one of my administrators, a lie of omission being not telling them something they need to know. Um, I'm a non-tenured teacher, and all the administrators, I've had, I've had three administrators in the past two years, um, and they all thought I was tenured. And I kept telling them that I'm non-tenured, and non-tenured teachers always have to have three observations. Um, two very long, very long, <laughs> dreadful observations. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's something I dread. Um, and then one short one. And I was told by other teachers and by, um, by my union to just slip through the cracks. Oh, don't tell them. It's their problem. They'll deal with it. And then my administrator came in to my classroom to, to thank me for a previous day's event um, as he thanked all of his teachers. Yeah, he's such a nice guy and he's standing right in front of me and I'm like, why would I lie to this man? And I thought about what I was vowing to uphold in my life, in my daily life, even with non-practitioners, with, with everyone as one. And I said, you know, I'm non-tenured. And I, I don't have two of my observations done. And the gratitude, he was, first of all, he was in shock because he thought I was non he thought I was tenured. But um, he also was so grateful to me for telling so that he could get his job done. And I thought about the people who were telling me not to tell him and how easy it was to try to slip into that, to just try to slip through the cracks, to try to, well, it's their problem, not mine. So 
manifesting truth and, and upholding all the precepts such a challenge for all of us in many different ways. I also thought of uh, Shantideva's words, if I repay them harm for harm, indeed they'll not be saved thereby, and my conduct will in turn be marred. What we do to others, we do to ourselves. The third paramita is Santi Paramita. This paramita is translated as forbearance. Um, it, it is also can be translated as patience. This practice of, of this perfection does not mean that we sit on our hands when we feel our impulses, I can't do this, I don't want to do this, I don't do this, and resist the urge to, um, to do something. We sit on our hands. If I sit on my hands, I can't do anything harmful is the thought that goes through our heads, but um, this practice of tolerance and gentleness is born from essential nature of our being. Not inserting itself into the outcome or situation. We let the universe actualize itself, again, through us, as we've been speaking of um, in our study of Genjo form. We are again at the zero point, no opposition, our natural state of love and tolerance. However, there is that impatience that we deal with. I do feel tugs of impatience urging me to irritation and tolerance. You know, like this. This is not what I want right now. And I find it most often happens at work. Um, I have amazing, amazing kids at work. I, I love working with them. Um, and they're all such a beautiful expression of quirkiness and um, intelligence and uh, giving, actually. Very generous kids. But as kids do, they have ways of pushing your buttons over and over and over again. And they push and they push and they push until you get to the edge of your patience. And you're like looking over that cliff and you're like, I don't know if I want to go there. Um, this is not where I want to go, but this is where I'm being pushed. Getting to that brink of impatience and, and just being with that discomfort of, yeah, I don't want to be impatient. I want to benefit these people. And you're at the edge. Why is this one making that noise again? And, well, <laughs> will one of my students ever stop talking about Nintendo and Pokemon and making video game noises? And, and will one of them please stop just tugging my arm? You know, tugging, tugging, tugging. Get me juice, get me juice now. Juice, juice, juice. And um, often these events in the classroom will not just happen. Okay, now it's happening. Now one is happening. Okay, I can handle that. Now, I would prefer this to happen, actually, a little bit later, okay, I can deal with that. Okay, no, everything happens at once. Everything happens at once, simultaneously, 
all of them go off. Like uh, alarm, like five or six different alarm clocks in my classroom. The really jarring ones. Um, and I get to that edge and, it, and it's challenging. The universe is challenging my belief that I am a patient person at that point. But yeah, everybody, everybody at school, um, they, they see me, they see me with the kids, um, they come into my classroom, they always see me patient. And they're, they're like, you're such a patient person. And I'm like, yes, I'm an angel. Um, no. Of course I'm a patient person, everyone says so. What it really comes down to is that I have to find a way to bring love into that situation. The impatience is urging me to separation. And my love for them can transcend my impatience. And getting down to that moment is difficult. Uh, seeing that young person across from me as a whole human with needs, with their own version of suffering, with their own trials and feelings and troubling situations, and, and unfortunately, some very uh, disturbing and distressing households, um, parents, difficulties. Um, yeah, my kids go through a lot, completely dropping self and seeing their pain is my practice. And the only way to experience this true patience is to understand that patience has no opposite. The opposite of patience is not impatience. It's only the edge of our patience. No borders. It's just that moment of discomfort. Allowing my kids to shine and um, allowing my kids to express themselves cannot at that moment have anything to do with me or how I feel or what I want. It's everything to do with how can I help these people? How can I help the person in front of me? When you go to work and you see a difficult person, when you have a difficult or stubborn friend, or when you have a situation that's causing you distress and causing you to feel this irritation and impatience, and why can't they do this, and why can't they do that, you know, do something different, treat me differently, you have to see them as you. That's a challenge. Absolutely necessary. And the fourth paramita is Virya Paramita, or the Paramita of Vitality. In Sanskrit, the word Virya derived from Vira, a word from ancient Indo-Iranian language that means hero. In Sanskrit, Virya came to refer to the power of a great warrior to overcome his enemies. Uh, we can imagine a great warrior and his courage and valor in going into battle, as we all do every day. This is not merely sitting. This is sitting with the courage and energy of a fierce, fierce bodhisattva. 
life and death are of supreme importance. Take heed. Do not squander your life, your energy, your light should not be hidden. Be that warrior. Be strong. Sit. Root yourself in that energy. That undercurrent of energy that flows through us, flows through all of us as one, as one being. This is Virya Paramita. In Chinese, the word for Virya is Qing Qing. Qing means unmixed, refined, spiritual. And Qing means to advance or move forward. Uh, this paramita ultimately translates to the advancement of single-minded spiritual vigor. Vigor. What does that mean? Single-minded focus. Power. Strength. Courage in the face of all your thoughts. All your thoughts that are scattered everywhere, here, there, everywhere. All the actions that have happened, all the things you've done, all the words you've said to everyone, everything comes up on that cushion and tugs at your arm like a kid. Sit through it. Let those kids tug on your arm. Let them, let them scream at you. Let them express whatever they need to express. You are the warrior. You are fierce, you are strong. That is the vitality that we speak of. But how difficult is it to drop self and persevere? And we all have those sluggish moments that affect our drive and our passion for practice, for realization. The fact that we have to constantly remind ourselves and each other to keep the fire stoked in a test is a testament to how easy it is to let the small self get in the way of life. How easy it is to just slip back into, okay, let's just hit the snooze button in the morning, as I do at times. We give in to our impulses to resist discomfort and pain. The opportunity is lost. Dogen is speaking to you. What does it mean for you? this vitality, this energy, this drive, drive. Where are you striving? Where do you squander your life? How do you work on koans? Each of us must strive to awaken. I urge you, urge you to ask yourselves on a consistent basis and myself, what do I do to awaken? At home we have a statue of Avalokiteshvara the Bodhisattva of Compassion, with a dragon at her feet. This practice of Virya Paramita always reminds me of her, as compassion is depicted as even greater than all enlightened beings. The strive to, to express and manifest this compassion for everyone, for the benefit of everyone around us. It's what drives us to drop self in practice with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our energy. In those moments when we feel like all we want to do in the morning is sleep, 
Compassion awakens us and drives us deep into practice. That is Virya Paramita. Great passion for practice, great drive, great focus, single-minded focus. The fifth Paramita is Jnana Paramita, which is focused, settled concentration or meditation. The very word Zen actually derives from Chan, or Channa, as most of us know in Chinese, which in turn is derived from Jnana. Jnana Paramita is the essence of sitting practice. Senzaki Nyogen Sensei often quoted his teacher Soen Zenji, Zazen is not a difficult task. It is a way to lead you to your long lost home. This long lost home is the long lost love homecoming. Here I am. Here I am present. Where we have always been, but have not yet realized. We act as if we are not at home, but this heaven, this nirvana is right here in the midst of you. Heaven in the midst of you. Hell in the midst of you. Janna Paramita is realizing that suchness is right here. Right here. Where you sit. That's your nurturance. That's your nurturance. It's your sustenance. It's what you can draw from. When we all sit together, we draw from each other as one. The sixth paramita is Prajna Paramita. Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva doing deep Prajna Paramita clearly saw emptiness of all five skandhas, thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. Prajna is translated as wisdom, but wisdom is translated as intimacy, being intimate. We chant the Heart Sutra and we realize that this wisdom, this intimacy, arises as the ultimate expression of our practice. All of the five paramitas lead up to the sixth paramita, culminate in the sixth paramita, prajna. It's understood as the illumination that arises within our mind from all these Practices of perfection arises as a light illumination. Ah. The aha moment. Wow. A perfect example of Prajna. This wisdom leaving no trace behind us. Actually, Zen teachers did not often speak of prajna with their students. Students would bring it up and 
Actually, a perfect example of this is when Hui Neng, the sixth patriarch, came to Hong Jian for the first time and he asked Hong Jian, uh, may I tell your holiness that prajna frequently arises in my mind? And Hong Jian said, he quickly changed the subject and he sent her to the backyard to hold the rice. So, This is not avoidance, though. It's because we leave no trace behind us. Prajna is what is described when Dogen says, to forget the self is to be confirmed by the 10,000 things. It is intimate, so intimate, that to speak one word about it is to be separated from it by 10,000 miles. A monk asked Tongshan, among the three bodies of the Buddha, which one does not fall into category? Tungshan said, I am always intimate with it. Prajna has a deep expression of no-thingness. So close that there is no need for words, concepts, labels, identifications. This is wisdom. these practices require a dropping of self, no insertion, no identification or separation of self and other. It is, our practice is, these practices as one practice are the pure practice of love. There is nothing more and nothing less. Unconditional I will end with a quote from Dogya Sanji, from his Fukanza Zengi. You should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech, and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness 